Good morning. It's great to have you here at First Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Brad. And if uh, this is your first time here at First Baptist, or you haven't been with us for a while, uh, we are in a series on our core values. And so in your bulletin, you also have an outline, if you would take that out. And um, we're going to be going through this outline Uh, You can see by the big blocks, bold blocks behind me, that those are the core values that we have here at First Baptist. We've talked about three or four of those, and uh, today we have come to the E word, evangelism, evangelism. So let me ask you, when you uh, hear or when you see that word, uh, what do you think of? Or what do you feel? You know, Pastor Scott kind of got us thinking about that a little bit today, of that being a scary thing. And I'm sure that for some of you, it might get some kind of knot in your stomach as you think about evangelism, what that means. Or for others, it might be sweaty palms or kind of dry mouth. Or or you might have a, a twinge of guilt or a fear um, for, for you know you should be doing it, but you really don't want to because it's hard to do. And I guess the question is why? Why, why do we feel that way about evangelism? Mainly, as I was thinking this week, it's because I think we have kind of this idea of, of evangelism being like this person at a street corner who's got this big megaphone, right? And they're yelling, you know, turn or burn kind of thing. And, and, and people, you know, when we walk by and we're kind of like, I don't even want to be associated with that guy, right? I mean, some of us kind of approach it that way because that kind of turns us off. Or maybe you think of evangelism and you think of cold turkey sharing where you just go up to somebody and start kind of talking to them about spiritual things and then try and get them to go through the four spiritual laws. Or maybe that alone right there is kind of what is scary to you. You think about sitting down and explaining the four spiritual laws with someone and you have that expectation that that's what I have to do when in reality only about 3 to 6% of people Billy Graham Association came out with this stat a while back, only 3 to 6% of all who are Christians will ever get that opportunity to actually go through the four spiritual laws and pray with somebody to receive Christ. But these expectations can kind of be upon us or put upon us. Maybe we see the word evangelism and we think of an evangelist. Like, like those television evangelists, right? You kind of know who they are. They got the big hair, the big preacher hair, right, kind of going on. They got that look going on. And they say, they don't say Jesus, but they say Jesus, right? Five syllables going all the way through there, right? Send me your money, right? Or I'll, I'll cry in this handkerchief. If you send me $200, I'll send it to you, right? Have you, have you seen those kind of things going on? And we get a little bit freaked out at that. We get a little bit like, well, something just doesn't seem kind of right about that. Let me tell you, that in its truest form, I don't believe is, is evangelism. I don't want you to view evangelism in that way. Evangelism, in fact, is just a Greek word That means, let me help you here, a Greek word that means, I feel like a game show host when I do this. (laughs) Good news. Good news. Vanna White, right? I was a Vanna White today, right? That's what it means. The word evangelism, sharing 
the good news. That's what we're called to do. If you've had a baby or maybe you've seen a grandchild or a great-grandchild or someone, someone who's had a baby, they are just thrilled, aren't they? they? They can't keep that news down. Well, that, if we think about it, a baby was born 2,000 years ago that we need to be talking about and sharing about. And that same kind of excitement would come out of that type of sharing That's our mission. That's the life mission that God has given to us. That we are to share the good news. Whatever that good news would be, however you would share life stories or things that go on in your life in a good news type of way, that's the same way that we're to share about our faith in Jesus. And you say, well, what's the best way of doing that? How do we do that? As with all these core values, they are talked about in Scripture. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to look at how to do that best. And I'll say this, that how God made you and how God shaped you is the best way for you to share your faith in. Not everybody is called to share their faith like me. Not everybody's called to share their faith like Billy Graham. Not everyone's called to share their faith like Mother Teresa. Not everybody is called to go on the mission field to share their faith. Not everyone's called even to go into different parts where maybe you're, you're not comfortable with, with those kinds of things. Now, I believe we always need to kind of be pushed and stretched in doing that. But God has made you and shaped you in a unique way. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how you can feel comfortable in sharing your faith with how God has made you. Today, though, I want to kind of give you an overarching um, a reason for how we can do that or, or way that we can do that. And um, the verse I kind of want to focus on is Acts chapter 1-8. But before I read that verse, let me read out of Acts chapter 20, verses 20 verse 24. Here's what it says. It says, the most important thing that I, is that I complete my mission and the work that the Lord Jesus gave me. And now here it is. To tell people what? The good news about God's grace. That's the mission that gets before us. And so we're going to be talking about that over the next couple of weeks. How do we do evangelism? How do we share the good news? And please, don't see that as a mission impossible. All right? That is a mission very possible when we see it, how the Bible shows it to us, and how we can go about doing that. So now, the verse out of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you have your Bibles, that's where I'm going to kind of be looking here today. Acts 1, 8 is a passage that Jesus shares with his disciples after he has died, after he has rose again from the dead, and as he is preparing to ascend into heaven... Here's what he says. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So as we look at this passage very easy to draw kind of a geographical correlation between what is Jesus, what Jesus was saying back in the first century and what he's saying to us today. And so we can look at that area of Jerusalem as being the area of Stockton, referring to the smaller area, the smaller city that is there. Then we can go, okay, well, then it's Judea and Samaria. That would be kind of similar to California and the United States. And then we can see where he says the end of the earth, we would call that maybe every other country here on this earth. It's very easy to see how Jesus would say that, to share in your city of Stockton, in your state, in your nation, and then around the world. But what I want to do to bring this a little bit more home 
is that I would like to draw some relational correlations between what Jesus is saying here. That is, you have that on your outline in the box that's right in the middle. Jerusalem would perhaps be the people who are closest to me. The people who are closest to me would be the Jerusalem Jesus is talking about. And then Judea and Samaria would be the people who are near but different from me. Near but different from me. And then that charge to go to the end of the earth would be everyone else. Everyone else who would be included in that. And so we see that charge, and you can take it geographically, you can take it relationally, but today I want to focus a little bit more on the relational side, so that when you read back through Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you see it kind of appearing like that, to say, now go to the people who are closest to you, go to the people who are near you, but different to you, that maybe you wouldn't just kind of be friends with them, but I still want you to share with them, go to the ends of the earth, go to the entire world, and share my name. And notice in that passage, it says, you will be my witnesses in all those areas. It does not say that you will be my defense attorney. It does not say that you will be my prosecutor and that you have to defend your faith. Although in other areas we do talk about, the scripture talks about defend your faith, but Jesus didn't give us that in this passage here. He doesn't say you will be my salesman to the ends of the earth, that you will peddle my message wherever you go. What does it say? It says you will be my what? My witnesses. What's a witness? A witness is just somebody who tells what they have seen. Somebody who tells what has happened, what has happened to them. That's what a witness is. And if you've come to a saving salvation in Jesus Christ, then you have a story. You have an event that has happened in your life, and you are to be a witness of that to other people. Now, here's what is so incredible about this. That God chose you to be the one to complete that mission. Think about that for a second. The mission that Jesus started here on earth, he then said, I want you to finish it. That's how much he thinks of you, that he wants you to complete that mission. And sometimes I scratch my head and I say, you know, like, like, like that's it. Like, like it's us. We're, we're, we're it. Yes. We are it. That's how much God thinks of you. In fact, there is no plan B in this. You are plan A. And just like the disciples, as they saw Jesus then ascend up into heaven, I'm sure with their eyes very wide and their mouths open saying, wow, now how do we do this? The same thing is probably true of us. We look and we say, okay, Jesus, you got a plan. How do we go about doing this? Yes, the very last words that he gave to us, we're going to break those down here today, and that's the game plan. So, mission possible, if you choose to accept it, let's talk about that, all right? Number one, how do we do this? We share with those in my corner of the world. Share with those people who are nearest you, who are in your corner of the world. There's a passage in Luke chapter 8 where Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. And uh, as Jesus is getting ready to leave the area, the demon-possessed man wants to get in the boat and leave with Jesus. And uh, Jesus says, no, no, hold on a second. I I have something different for you. 
And it says in Luke chapter 8, verse 39, he tells the man, he says, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. That's what I want you to do. It says, and he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now, the same story is told in Mark chapter 5, and we know in Mark chapter 5 that he's actually told to go to the Decapolis, which is an area of 10 cities around the area. And so Jesus, I think, is very strategic about this, of saying, go to those people who know you best. Your mission starts at home. Your mission starts in your neighborhood. Your mission starts in your community. And it says there that he went to the whole city, around the whole area, sharing with people. Jesus says to go to your friends. He says to go to your family. He says to go to your classmates. He says to go to your coworkers. Anyone who you cross paths with, to go. Now, One of the biggest reasons I think we get fearful of this, just kind of what Pastor Scott brought up here today, God is kind of thinking about this. You feel more public speaking or having to share your faith. One of the lies that I think we have bought into is that people are not interested in spiritual things. Folks, that could not be farther from the truth. People are very interested in spiritual things. In fact, you just look at the current movies that are out today, what, what, what is out? We have a movie that, I don't know if it's still out, but it has been out in the last month, called The Son of God, that was based upon the History Channel's The Bible. Very popular, many people watched it, made it into a motion picture about Jesus and his life. You have the movie out, just as last week, God's Not Dead, which is playing up in Lodi. If you have not seen that, I encourage you to go see that. You have the movie that's, I think, coming out, I think it came out on Friday, Noah right? That, 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 that is a story, again, that I'm not endorsing that movie. I haven't seen that. I heard it's a little dark. It's a little gruesome in, in some areas. But I would challenge you that if anybody goes to see it, read the scriptural account of it, compare it to scripture, but know the scriptural account is the true account. But if you see it or if you get in conversations with others, yes, people are very interested in those kind of spiritual things. Some people may not even realize, hey, that story's in the Bible. You want to talk about it? There's another movie called um, Heaven, uh, Heaven is for Real. And again, I'm not necessarily endorsing it or the beliefs behind it. I don't know it. I haven't seen it. I think it's coming out very soon. But whatever the case, Hollywood has caught on to this and said people are very interested in spiritual things. In fact, some of the most recent stats that I have found, every poll indicates that Americans are more interested in spiritual things than they even were 10, 15, 20 years ago. In fact, a recent Gallup poll said... Out of the 65, uh, let me get this right, out of about 64 to 70 million Americans who have no church home, that 35 to 40 million of them would attend church if they were just invited by people who go to church. Think about that. 35 to 40 million people would say, sure, I'll go with you to church if they were just invited to go. You know what Peter says about that? 1 Peter chapter 3.15. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Of course you want to do this with gentleness. Of course you want to do this with respect. But you have a hope. You have a hope in you. Yesterday, I had the privilege of getting to share at a funeral service about the hope that a young boy who lost his life 
had in his life and his parents go to our church and they said, please, please share the hope. I had the opportunity to share in front of hundreds here in our worship center about the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Now, I realize that's unique for a pastor to get to do that. But in your work and with your personality, you get to do that as well. And God has charged you as part of your mission is to do that. We have a gal who used to be uh, attending our church here. She has passed on now, but she was a hairstylist. And she would used to say that she loved to have people come into her business and she would sit them down and she would be talking about faith issues with them. In fact, she had a captive audience. She would lean them back. She'd begin to, you know, shampoo their hair like that and then start bringing stuff up spiritually and having questions and, and talking about those kind of discussions. Another man I had heard about, too, was an eye doctor who, who used to put the four spiritual laws up on the wall. And he used to say, okay, now cover your right eye read, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. Wow. Yeah. I mean, how creative is that, right? We have a realtor here at the church who's told me that he would tune his radio dial into Christian radio stations so that when he gets in the car and takes his clients out to look at homes, that the Christian radio music would be playing, would either spark discussion about, you know, do they have a new church, uh, or do they go to church, or even just any spiritual types of things. Just areas for people to start to talk about spiritual matters, because people are interested in those kinds of things. They really are. Last week, we had a great worship night here in the sanctuary. If you missed it, um, I encourage you, next time you hear about our worship nights, to come. It was a powerful, powerful time. Um, There was a young girl who was praying right here on the front uh, steps. We invited people at different times. You're welcome to come up and pray if you would like. She came up and she began to pray, just pouring her heart out to God. I had no idea what she was praying about, but I talked to one of her relatives afterwards. And he told me, you know what she was praying for? She was praying for her father and her mother to come to know Jesus. It's a young girl, 10, 11 years of age, who had a burden for her parents to know Jesus. And I thought, oh God, do I have that kind of a burden for people in my life that I would be praying with great faith just like that? It begins with prayer. And, and, you know, I I realize that sometimes it is hard to to say, okay, now I have to share the whole gospel. I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything to say. Just tell them what you know. But we also know that it's easy many times to invite somebody. And when you invite them here to church, then you're able to let us share the gospel with them. And so we want to partner with you on that. And that's why over the next few weeks, I'm going to share with you how you can easily invite people or how you can easily share spiritual things with people. But I want to remind you, Easter is coming in about three weeks. And people are awakening us. That's a perfect Sunday to invite someone to come. And we're going to have three identical services here, 8, 9.30, and 11. Good call, all right? 9.30 and 11.15, there'll be a children's program with a ventriloquist and all that kind of fun things over in the gymnasium. But in here, 8, 9.30 and 11.15, if, if you're going to invite somebody, I know the opportune times that people come are usually at 9.30 and 11.15. Um, if for some reason you don't have children and maybe you're not bringing someone, um, if you would consider maybe coming to our 8 o'clock service, that would free up some extra space at the 9.30 and 11.15 time. But if you're bringing somebody and that's the time to come, please come and be with them pray God who might be open remember what I said 35 to 40 million Americans would say sure I'll come and especially on Easter Sunday they would come 
Do you have one? God, would you put this on our hearts? God, we pray that you would. Jesus has said, you're the plan. You're the ones that carry out the mission. There is no plan B. It's us. It's us. And so Jesus starts by saying, okay, go to your Jerusalems. Go to those people who are nearest you. But then he takes another step and he says, go to Judea and Samaria, which I'm going to write. It's on the back of your page. Those are the places we need to go that we dare to reach beyond my corner of the world. That his commission, his mission is to charging us, dare to reach beyond just your corner of the world. Look what 1 Corinthians 9 says about this. I have become all things to all people, says Paul, that by all means I might save some. Love demands that we go beyond our own little sphere of influence. We go beyond our comfort zone to the people who maybe have different backgrounds from us, different education than us, maybe different language than us, maybe different economics than us. In the 8 o'clock service, we were doing the same greeting time that we did here at the 9.30 service, and somebody said, you know, it's really fearful in my neighborhood because we live around a lot of Muslims, but we're doing our best. They actually came up and talked to me afterwards and said, we're praying for them. We're just trying to be Jesus to them. I said, great, keep it up. That's what you need to do. That's how you share your faith. You begin to share your faith by gaining credibility in other people's lives. This is why when we talk about dare to go beyond our corner of the world, we have people here who go out and uh, work with the California Youth Authorities. Um, One gal in particular that I know of goes to our church who works with young women and talks to them about their, their sexuality and how to honor God with their bodies. And many times spiritual discussions come up through these types of events. We have other people in our church who uh, volunteer at the Pregnancy Help Center and do a wonderful work with women who are going through that crisis point in their lives. Nikki Lowry spoke here in January, um, encouraged any of us, if we'd like to come, be on the Pregnancy Help Center and help those maybe people who are a little bit different than you, maybe not in your same life stage, but if you have the hope, you can be trained on how to speak truth into their lives. We have a group of people who call themselves the crazy love group who go out and love to share with others. In fact, this last Christmas, they said, we want to go out and just share coffee on the streets of South Stockton. Christmas morning, we want to go out and share people the love of Jesus by just giving them coffee and saying, hey, God loves you. That's why we have a a breakfast club. In fact, just this morning, someone handed me this paper. I haven't even read through this article yet, but our breakfast club was written up in today's paper, Decade of Feeding Needy Religiously, and talks about the work that has gone on here with many of you who jump into that group. We have another group that goes out, um, makes sandwiches throughout the week, and goes out later on Saturday mornings, again, to go out and feed those who, who maybe just have fallen on a tough time in life. Maybe a little different than where we are in our lives. That's why we have the outreaches to the family shelter and the men's shelter that goes beyond just saying, well, I gave some money towards that, but goes and puts your blood and your sweat and your tears into helping people. That's why we have the Caring Christmas Tree that many of you are involved with at Christmas time and the Thanksgiving outreach and other things we do like that because God asks us to share. What does he say? Well, look what he says in the book of James. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, listen to this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The NIV, if you have that in front of you, talks about non-polluted, not to be polluted by the world. That's true religion. That's sharing your faith. That's sharing the good news that God asks us to share. 
Now notice it, 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 it says unstained. It doesn't say perfect. It says non-polluted, not, not unperfect, because we're not perfect people. We share out of our brokenness many times. In fact, Maya Angelou, very famous poet, wrote a poem that a college student reminded me of a number of months ago. Um, this college student had been coming to Crosswalk and um, went to Japan to do some studying in Japan. And um, he reminded me of a sermon that I had given. And he said, you know, it kind of stuck with me because right now I'm having a difficult time in my faith away from the fellowship that I had there in Stockton. He said, I'm still doing my quiet times. I'm still trying to spend time with the Lord. Um, but I realize just how broken I am. And he, and, he, and he wrote me this poem or he showed me this poem that's by Maya Angel. Let me just read it to you. It's called, I'm a Christian. It says, when I say I'm a Christian, I'm not shouting I'm clean living. I'm whispering I was lost, but now found and forgiven. When I say I'm a Christian, I don't speak of this with pride. I'm confessing that I stumble and need Christ to be my guide. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not trying to be strong. I'm professing that I'm weak and I need his strength. To carry on. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not bragging of success. I'm admitting I have failed and I need God to clean my mess. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not claiming to be perfect. My flaws are far too visible, but God believes I'm worth it. When I say I am a Christian, I still feel the sting of pain. I have my share of heartaches, so I call upon his name. When I say I am a Christian, I'm not holier than thou. I'm just a simple sinner who received God's good grace somehow. He said, you know, going through times of struggling, this really spoke to me because I don't always get it right. But I still realize that God has called me to something greater. And that is to live out my Christian faith. In fact, he referenced a message that I gave a number of years ago on cheap grace. He said, you talked about how God's grace is given to us, but it's not a cheap grace that just says, okay, great, I'm in, I'm going to heaven, now I can do whatever I want to do. And folks, if you believe that, that's a cheap grace. That's not what God has called us to. He's called us into grace, into fellowship with him, so that then we might live that out. As we live that out, we become the good news that we share, and we share that good news. We're not the frozen chosen around here, all right, folks? We're not the, hey, I got in and I'm all good. Now I can do whatever I want. No. The word is to go out and share, to evangelize, to share with others. That's what God God has called us to do. And we do that with people who are close to us. We do that with people who are near but very different from us. And let me give you the last area that I want to encourage you to do that in. And that is to care about the entire world. Don't just say, well, the world's just so big, I cannot do anything. You know what? More ways than we realize we can do things. The world has become smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller in many ways. Now, look what Jesus says back in Mark 16. He says, and he said to them, go into all the, what does it say there? All the what? And proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That's our mandate, to go and make a difference. And what is often about this is that with the internet, and, and telecommunications and satellite communications, I mean, the world has really become very, very small. That, that entire world is very conceivable now, and we have been the generation to start to do that. 
that, that, that the message can go out over the airways. I challenge you, be creative how you do this. The care about the entire world is not as big as maybe it once seemed. In fact, about a month ago, there was a couple who came down, met me on the front row, um, and talked about how they were going to adopt a child over in another country. And uh, they had been challenged by our His Little Feet presentation that we've been given for a number of years. They said this started in them a couple of years ago, and so they're on the process of doing that. And before they left, they said, we're going to be gone a couple of months, so you won't be seeing us. They said, but we're still going to be listening to you. And I kind of thought about how to do that online. They said, when we're over halfway around the world, we're still going to be listening to the message online. In fact, they're probably listening to us right now as they hear this in a few hours, and they'll know exactly who I'm talking about. I hope to get to share their message when they come back. Pastor Scott was telling me about a month ago that we had some um, hits on our internet site from China who have been listening to the messages that we had here. And he asked me about that. He said, you know anybody in China? I thought about it. thought about it. No, no. And then all of a sudden it clicked. We'd had some UOP students who were foreign exchange students who when they left, they said, we're going to be listening to you still over in China. Now that is so unique that would not have been conceived back when Jesus was talking about it. Well, Jesus probably knew about it. We, we just didn't know, right? But think about how that can work. I mean, that's why now we go, and, and, and to think about the airfare even that we have, and we can go into other countries. In fact, let me go ahead and put the picture up there, um, Susan. Um, there it is. This uh, map is up in our Welcome Center. Many of you have seen it. Maybe you've seen it so often you kind of don't think about it anymore. But there's like eight screens, four screens over here and four screens over here as well in the Welcome Center. Um, As you walk into the Welcome Center, you just look to your right-hand side and it's up there on the wall. And those colored-in countries are different um, countries that we have gone to and, and taken a mission trip with over the last probably 10, 15 years. The world has become a very, very small place. And um, we have gone to Costa Rica and Mexico, Honduras, and uh, we have one going out to Bolivia uh, in a few uh, months, India, Thailand, China, Alaska, Uganda, Haiti, two we just did in Haiti, as Pastor Scott said. They, they just got back. Some of them are very sleepy-eyed right now, but they're here in our worship service with us. Um, got back at 2 a.m. last night. In fact, when I woke up this morning, uh, I just saw a lump in the bed right next to me. It was my wife. Um, she, when she came in, I was just a big lump in the bed. When I left, she was just a big lump in the bed. And we reunited in the welcome center. I gave her a big kiss because I hadn't seen her in eight days. But they're here. And there's other team members who are here as well. Those people have gone out. They've seen what it's like to be out on the mission field. They've seen what it means to go to the entire world and to make a difference. And I realize that might seem a little overwhelming to some of you. That's okay. That's all right. What I want to get into mind here, and let me kind of bring this home here, is I want you to focus on just what God has placed before you. I want you to focus on the people that God has put into your life. And maybe don't get into this, okay, I've got to reach the entire world, although when you give here to First Baptist Church, you are part of going into the entire world. And if any of you have been on a mission trip, you know what that is. You're on that kind of mission there. But I want them to boil this down because I realize many of you have not been able to do something that's really that big and that vast. What is your purpose? Who is God laying before you? What is your purpose that God has asked you to do? And let me bring this home. David in Scripture has talked about being a man after God's own what? Man after God's own heart, huh? Listen to how his life is summarized in Acts chapter 13, 36. It says, David served God's purpose in his own generation. 
Isn't that a great verse? That David lived for a while, and in that while, he served his purpose. And then what does it say? He what? He, and then he died. Boy, it can't get much simpler than that, huh? Serve, and then you die. Well, the challenge for each of us is that um, nobody in here is dead yet. And so as long as you have life, you have purpose. And God is placing someone, I pray, upon your heart whom you can share this good news with because that is a part of your purpose. All these values that we've been talking about up here, you know, uh, of, of discipleship and prayer and ministry and reading God's word and all those kind of areas, those are part of the purpose that God has put before us as well. But this, especially God's purpose, we are plan A, where to go out and where to share the good news. It's up to us. As long as you have breath, that is for you. And so over the next few weeks, two weeks in particular, leading up to Easter, what I'm going to focus on is how do we do that best with how God has made us? Because some of you right now are freaked out that you're going to have to go out and share on a street corner and be an evangelist. No, I'm not saying everybody has to do that. Others of you are freaked out that you have to go find somebody and share the four spiritual laws. No, I'm not saying everybody has to do that either. God has made you and shaped you in a very unique way. And over the next couple of weeks, I want to show you how God has made you different maybe than someone else and show you ways that you can share and you can serve your purpose in your generation before you die. But it begins really with prayer. It begins with a place of saying, okay, God, I want to be open to this. And then I pray that in just about two weeks when Easter Sunday comes, that you'll be very receptive to saying, okay, this week I'm going to invite someone to come because we're going to start a new series on Easter Sunday. In fact, we're going to put away the the core values for a little while, and we're going to start a series that talks about if Jesus really did raise from the dead, then I need to take this seriously. And this makes a difference. What if that really is true? Because many people come on Easter and then they don't plan again to come all the way till Christmas. But we want to say, why don't you stick with us at least two or three more weeks when we can share with you what difference this really makes in your life. Because if he really did raise from the dead, that means your life is different. That means you can have a salvation, yes, but also it can make a difference in your life today. We're going to start that on Easter Sunday. But really, it begins by us being sensitive to who God lays upon our hearts. I challenge you to take that step. Let me just kind of drive this home, though, with with an email that I received a number of months ago. It was from actually a number of years ago, but I've kept it. um, From a gentleman who attends our church, who uh, this reality became very, very real to him when um, a good friend of his uh, went through a tough situation. In fact, let me just read it to you. Um, person kind of starts off by saying, hey, Pastor Brad, saying some nice things, and then it gets into the story. He says, Chris was my best friend since early childhood back in our elementary school years. Chris and I experienced life together for the next 18 years, and we literally grew up together in every aspect of life. Our summers were filled with camping trips where we both would become adopted kids of each other's families, going on family trips to Yosemite, to the beach, to San Diego. The list goes on and on and on. He said, I remember so fondly all the times we spent together on our fir- working on our first cars, being involved in Boy Scouts, golfing together. He said, after high school, I went up to UOP, and Chris held odd jobs and decided to join the Army. 
Over the next few years, Chris and I would see each other less frequently than in the past, but we still communicated by email and by phone. Before we knew it, four years were over, and I was done with college, and Chris was done with the military. Soon, uh, or not soon after, September 11th, 2001 hit, and our world was changed. Chris felt so compelled to serve that he re-enlisted with the army because he wanted to fight for his country. We all knew what that meant. He would be heading to the Middle East. Soon after re-enlisting, Chris was married and had a child. We also both had the fortune of being each other's best men in our weddings. As uh, As was expected, Chris would then be shipped out to Iraq in 2003. While Chris was in Iraq, I had the chance to talk to him a couple of times, and we also communicated by email. Our letters primarily consisted of describing how life was going and what life was like in Iraq. One package that we sent contained letters from my wife's third-grade class thanking the soldiers and a letter from me as well. For some reason, I decided to make this letter a little different than the rest. I was at the point in my life that I had recently been baptized and I decided that Chris needed to hear about Christ and what Christ had done in my life. I wrote this letter that included the plan of salvation and sent it in February of 2004. I was not sure all this time if Chris was even saved and I claimed him as my best friend. He says, how how could I have let that happen? Well, March in 2004, March 11th in fact, was a day that I will never forget for the rest of my life. I received a call from Chris's brother while at work that Chris was killed while on patrol in Iraq. I really cannot describe the feeling that overtook my body. I literally buckled over and began to gasp for air. My best friend, who was supposed to be coming back home to California to visit in two weeks, was now coming back in a coffin. Still hard to describe the thoughts that began to race through my mind besides the emotional distress that had taken over me. I started to wonder if Chris was saved, and I began to question why I had not talked to him earlier about my faith in Christ. I did send that letter, but about a month after his death, I received the package back in the mail as undeliverable. It was the most gut-wrenching mail I'd ever received. There was the package on my front doorstep. It had never made it to him. Questions arose. I was not in time. Why had I waited so long? Why did I not talk to my best friend Chris about Christ, who I received into my life? If I had written the letter just a few days earlier, maybe he would have received it. Maybe it would have made a difference. The days and weeks to follow his death were just a blur, and I just didn't understand why this had all happened. I flew back to Chris's funeral in North Carolina with his family and had a chance to meet more of his extended family. While in North Carolina, I received some of the best news that I could have ever received. While on leave about six months earlier, Chris had accepted Christ at the church that he started attending while he was in North Carolina. What a blessing. I was lucky. Or was it that God was teaching me a real lesson. See, this time in my life has changed me forever. 
Much like Chris used to take me out and risk and get me out of my comfort zone, he had done it again by waking me up and reminding me that you cannot count on tomorrow. I definitely wouldn't say that I'm the best evangelist in the world, but in my own way, which is what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks, this person writes, in my own way, I try to share Christ with others whenever possible. In this situation, I got lucky. But how many other Chris's are out there? How many other people do I come into contact every day that need to know Christ? You know, that's really the charge to us. How many people are there that we come across that need to know the good news? And I I don't want to end this time, you know, just kind of being a downer or putting a guilt trip on anyone. I, I don't think guilt really works over the long haul. My prayer today is that you might feel a passion to pray. Just as this 11-year-old girl prayed here in the front of the sanctuary last week, God, I'm praying for people. My prayer is that you would pray for people that God would put upon your heart of who you might encourage in their spiritual walk, of who you might invite to come to a service here, of who you might invite to be a part of a study, maybe just one-on-one in Scripture. I don't know how you do that best. But in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how God made you, how God shaped you, and how you can do that within your personality. Take steps to do that. But again, it begins with a season of prayer. And so as you leave this place today, as you come back again next week, I pray every day that you'll be praying for people who you know God has given you the mission the mission to share the good news, a mission that is not impossible, a mission that is very possible when you do it how God has made you and shaped you.